Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. A few days ago on January 6th, we said goodbye to our 27-year-old son on his way, sent him off with blessings for his return to a university job and home in Kuwait. With layovers in both Washington, D.C. and in Doha, it was a long two-day journey for him to come to Ohio and to go back. But his points from flights, I always tease him, and, and enable him to travel like a king. I'm so jealous when I see his pictures. His arrival from the Middle East on Christmas Eve and departure on the morning of Epiphany, January 6th, aligned almost perfectly with the season of Christmas Tide. He's our eldest, and a preacher's kid twice over, no stranger to the way our family typically delays almost everything fun about Christmas until after Christmas during the 12 days of Christmas when the rest of the neighborhood is winding down his celebration. It was perfect. We only see him a few times a year, and he always arrives bearing gifts. Usually, it's half a suitcase of the most delicious, fresh dates from Saudi Arabia I've ever had. But this year, he also brought a decorative incense burner pot called a bakor, commonly used in the Middle East, especially when a group of people gathers socially. Patiently, he showed his three brothers how to light the charcoal, wait a bit, place the solid chunk of incense on the hot coal and close the lid so that the fragrance spirals out from a dozen holes into the room and onto your clothing. You probably know frankincense is, of course, incense in solid form. And so we all smelled like the frankincense that he brought home for days. I could even smell it in my dog's hair, which was a big improvement from the way she smelled before the frankincense. So I was really interested in the origin of these bakors. I'd seen them in a few shops in Old Jerusalem years ago, and I didn't know where they came from. And I looked, and it goes back to, of course, ancient Mesopotamia, where everything goes back to practically, an area stretching from modern-day Syria to Kuwait. And they believed back in that day that specific scents and perfumes brought them closer to their deities in both home and temple. Around 6,000 years ago, this land between the Tigris and Euphrates, we think birthed the first civilization known to humankind, including the first ever writing, mathematical procedures, and even the judicial system found in the Code of Hammurabi, as well as a school of study central to our biblical text today, astrology, astrologers, who studied the heavens for portents of significant events, whose job was to observe and take notes and study and speak. And they visited kings when they saw a star in the sky that indicated royalty. We have historical record of different kings they visited throughout the centuries. We think they came from Babylon, the seat of the ancient astronomical studies. They would have been so exotic in a backwater town like Bethlehem. But first, they have to go through the place of power in Jerusalem. 
Now, if you notice, Matthew doesn't tell us exactly the number or identity of the gender of the Magi. We make assumptions, and there are Christmas carols that inform those assumptions, and so we think of them as the three kings. What we do know is they went a great distance, and they gave thoughtful gifts. It may have been a multitude, a whole caravan, including servants and supplies. We don't know how much time passed between the Magi sighting the star and arriving in Jerusalem. But once they arrived, Herod's paranoia ramped up with the thought that there might be a higher power than his own. And soon every boy, child under two in and around Jerusalem would be in grave danger. The Magi themselves were authentic spiritual seekers who had only the revelation of the night sky to guide them and no assurance of how this journey or this story would end. The journey is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 60. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. They did so, but they first found instead this petty tyrant who fancied himself as Herod the Great. He was known as an hysterical megalomaniac in history. He was committed to holding on to power at any cost. So, so they thought he would be the one to seek advice and counsel. Once they met him, they knew better. And once the dream came, they went another way home. But not before they found the source of their journey. The Christ child in a surprising location in a peasant home far beyond their own homes. They bow down, they worship, they offer their gifts to the only true king. Reverend Lauren Wright Pittman, who um, designed the artistic bulletin cover online or in your pews if you're here in person, she said the wise men are ready and willing to discern God's will in the outward, tangible signs of creation, as well as the inner contours of their own minds. God is in it all, and they are paying attention the Magi are so attuned to the divine that they avoid Herod's manipulation and they keep Jesus from Herod's grasp. I wonder, when have you sought God's will through faithful study and intentional prayer or by paying attention to tangible signs around you or to intuition stirring within you or to dreams? When have you chosen to turn a different direction or to go home a different way? In addition to being the day of the epiphany, which means manifestation, revelation, January 6th was also a different kind of revelation, unfortunately, of the division within our own country in stark contrast. It was the one-year anniversary of the insurrection in our country's capital, and while we've been inundated with plenty of stories of protesters and arrests and jail sentences and what happened, I'm also interested in the ones who walked away. By all accounts, the crowds that day were normal, patriotic Americans, many of them people of faith who were friends and neighbors. And when the protesters turned toward the Capitol and the chanting got louder, there were some who turned away and went home. In every crowd that turns violent, 
There are those attuned enough who realize they need to get out of there to protect other people. They are wise enough to go home, to see falsehoods they have believed in a little too much, and to turn away. And that gives me hope, because it's always possible to change your mind and go home. Isn't this what we try to teach our children as parents? That it's okay to leave the party, or the games, or the date night, or that group with whom you always seem to get into trouble. We didn't have, back in my parenting days, the, the apps that help you see where your children are, but also the code words that parents are using these days so when their children are in trouble, they can text a code word and their parent can find them. It's always possible to change your mind and go the other way. Even the baptized travel a path with many distractions, some leading to disastrous consequences. We can all believe lies. We can all tell lies. We can all engage in things we shouldn't be doing. Following the light of Christ takes intentional study attention, and the help of wise friends. Being a Christ worshiper isn't about being perfect, but about beginning a brave journey and always remaining humble and honest enough to know when you have erred, when it is time to repent, when you need to make amends, when you become honest again, when you take a different way, away with more integrity. There is always time while we have breath. As we travel by foot or by camel, by social media posts and news channel, none of us can know it all. We need help and we seek help. But we may be wrong in our source of help or direction. We may make mistakes in making our choices, but those mistakes should not tempt us to cover things up even more, to withdraw, to rely only on ourselves. There is a higher power and a better way of discipleship that invites our quest, deserves our attention, bids our worship, and utilizes our gifts. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a lot of talk about shining. Jesus shines at the transfiguration. The wise men see the shining star, and Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. That is a statement about you and I. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so they can see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And he also warns them the way will not be easy. We all have people that we think of as shining the light of God and, and the way that they have led us or advised us or been wise for us and this past week, I lost a friend who was one of those people for me. Her light shined brightly during 50 years before she was taken by cancer. Amber Donovan was the executive director of the Community of Hope and a passionate advocate for Cuyahoga County's homeless youth and those aging out of foster care. This was her passion, to establish communities comprised of small group of mentors to help young adults aged 18 to 27, without a strong support network coming out of the foster care system to a stable adult life. Volunteers offer their mentorship, networking connections, assist in finding employment and housing, and serve almost like an extended family. One person said these small communities create hope. 
they're a place for people to come. That's kind of like a sanctuary. There's peace around the table. There's a place of belonging. And she believed that her work was inspired by the gospel and that the church is uniquely gifted to help young adults and that not everyone must believe as we do, that we welcome different faith traditions. She said, we've learned the power of diversity in community, that faith, hope, and love are our three core principles and the greatest of these is love. When I read her obituary, I could see the shining of her discipleship evident in the words that she was an unfailing anchor in the lives of her family and friends, it said. That she loved freely and unconditionally and was a glowing light in this world, a lens that reflected and focused the light of Jesus. That she had a God-given gift to see through all the things the world wraps around us today, our worldly successes, our failures, the opinions and preconceived notions of others. That she could look through all that and see a true reflection of God's love and not just her loved ones, but everyone around her. That attitude showed in the DNA of the organization she founded, whose volunteers claim, the light in me sees the light in you. Who say, our job is to help our sister or brother to find and love the light within them. We need to believe that it still burns no matter what circumstances have caused it to flicker or even go out. We sit by their side, we dine, we struggle with issues, we create new opportunities, we light paths they have never even considered traveling. We do not impose our ways or will. We sit at that table with humility, holding our flashlight on their countenance and trying in every way we can to bring forth their light, their talent, their skill and strength and dreams, and then to hold up a mirror for them to see what has ever been there all along. Reading about my friend's tender legacy and her particular form of discipleship, I think we all could aspire to, and praying for her children and her husband and the youth she helped, brought to mind a favorite epiphany poem, Wise Women Also Came, by Jan Richardson. I'd like to close by reading it to you, and maybe you can think of the wise women and men and people in your life. Wise women also came. The fire burned in their wombs long before they saw the flaming star in the sky. They walked in shadows, trusting the path would open under the light of the moon. Wise women also came, seeking no directions, no permission from any king. They came by their own authority, their own desire, their own longing. They came in quiet, spreading no rumors, sparking no fears to lead to innocent slaughter, to their sister Rachel's inconsolable lamentations. Wise women also came, and they brought useful gifts. Water for labor's washing, fire for warm illumination, a blanket for swaddling. Wise women also came, at least three of them, holding Mary in the labor, crying out with her in the birth pangs, breathing ancient blessings into her ear. Wise women also came, and they went, as wise women always do, 
home a different way. Peace to you in the turning of this year, Christmas tide unfolding into epiphany, uncertain journeys ahead for all of us, inviting our study and attention and course correction and worship and use of all of our gifts. We will need the help of wise friends. We will need to be those wise friends. May the light of Christ guide each of you and all of you home, and may you shine with the love of God. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.